Okay, test, test, test. Let's see how we sound. I am using a new setup. I hope it works. Yeah, so we are going to talk about euphoria today, and um, I'm going to see who we have in the room. I'm also going to share with uh, people to let um, Leslie. I don't know if you have any strong thoughts about euphoria, but if you do, just put a clap thing if you want to be a speaker. If not, no pressure, no pressure at all. But just let me let me know, and I'll make you a speaker too, because. Um, yeah, I gotta say, I'm not gonna go too heavy into it until uh, Q gets here and stuff, but one thing I'll say, I thought I was going to hate the show a lot more. I will say that I think it was one of the worst pilots I've experienced in a long time, and if I didn't have the obligation to keep watching for this episode, I would not have pushed, but somewhere around episode two or three, I don't know if I just got numb to it or what, but... It got kind of compelling. I'm not going to say actually good, but I saw a good show buried under the shtick. It never quite came to fruition, but I'm not going to say it was a show totally without merit. Like, it's the kind of show if that guy could get out of his own way and stop trying to convince himself he's like some kind of voice of a generation that's not even his. And just embrace that what he has is a messy melodrama. Like, the show to me was kind of like Requiem for a Dream meets Skins meets Tyler Perry. It's like a white Tyler Perry. And I can enjoy Tyler Perry, like, just for the messiness. And it's a melodrama. It's It's a soap opera. And the show occasionally, but especially in the first couple of episodes, but especially the very first episode, the pilot tries so hard to act like it has these witty bon mots and these um, insights of a generation, and it's just Gen X, elder millennial, white guy, mansplaining to me, but using a teenage queer black girl so that the representation crowd, you know, uh, isn't going to realize that it's just like the oldest self-indulgent trope, just like uh, a white guy using a mouthpiece to just say how how many deep, sullen, Lord Byron-esque thoughts he has about the state of society. I mean, the insights are like straight out of the 2000s blogosphere. Like, you know, people are getting numb because of porn. Um, You know, body image. I mean, it's not... I mean, he dresses it up with some Gen Zisms and some Tumblrisms, talking about uh, slash fiction and there's like gender stuff. Like in you know, the 2000s blogosphere, wouldn't have had as much trans stuff thrown in there. But for the most part, I mean, it's a very elder millennial white guy show. But you know, and the guy does that a lot. Like he had that Malcolm and Marie show, and he's using two black bodies to work out his gripe as a white guy with a white critic and. Yeah, I think he does that a lot. Like he uses like the barred authenticity or protect the status of uh, black and queer voices just 
I mean, like, the kind of stuff he's talking about is not any different than, like, uh, Holden Caulfield character, you know, pissed at the world. I mean, she's basically just a black girl queer Holden Caulfield. It's the most cliche type of, um, I'm a white guy with a lot of profound things to say, because I say they're profound, and I'm going to hit you with them, and, yeah, it's just kind of, it's just kind of that, but he's very clever to make it in the voice of a, uh, queer black teen girl then the representation crowd goes like yay but uh how do i sound do i sound pretty clear i'm using this new setup i have a whole system here that feeds my mic directly to the phone and there's like all these different wires but uh so now i can actually feed in sound through my computer i have all this i have this whole rig now where i can actually pipe in sound from the computer sound from different things and that's why i make sure the mic sounds uh pretty good but you know, if you're here, uh, share on your social medias that we are in here, that we are live. I'm going to share it now. If you're too lazy to hit the share button, go to Twitter, go to at Champagne Sharks, and just retweet whatever I'm I'm uh, about to tweet from that account. You can just retweet it. But yeah, if anybody wants to speak on the show, you can get into the queue now, and we're not going to make you wait too long. But in the meantime, I'm just going to share my thoughts, also waiting for queue um, to pop in. Let me just double check where he's at.
Okay, so first things first. One thing I will say about this show, that first episode is the most pretentious thing I think I've ever seen. But he kind of dials it back later on, I think. And I'm not sure exactly why. I mean, something has happened. Like, for example, the first pilot's Mad Men, even though Mad Men is one of my favorite shows ever, I actually don't like the first pilot. The first pilot is so heavy-handed. It's so much like white guys were really crazy back then or it was so sexist back then. And the they're really, really dialing in a lot of presentism, like, you know, the going over the top of the smoking. Everyone's so over the top politically incorrect. And there's a lot of, like, um, lines that aren't really natural. They're just there to just... They only make sense in light of today, you know, trying to be ironic. Like someone saying, uh, you think there's a subconscious, you think there's a part of our brains that is different than what's happening in the front of our brains? And it's like, okay, people knew what a subconscious was back then. Like, like, like calm down. Like, like you're overdoing how in the dark everybody was about everything back then. Like, people understood Freud pretty well by, like, the 1960s. It's, uh, you know, Woody Allen was only a few years out. Like, like. And that whole language is very, very mainstream. Like, it's not, uh, you know, and, like, they're in a meeting where they're working with, like, Lucky Strike and a cigarette company, and everyone's, like, smoking while doing the, the campaign, while talking about how, wouldn't it be crazy if, like, bad things happen from smoking? And it's like, okay, I, I get it, you're clever. But after that first episode or two, it just threw all that out and was a good show. And I feel like, Euphoria is like that. The first episode is just way too pretentious and 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 heavy-handed. And I don't know if he got notes. I don't know if maybe he had that sitting in his drawer for like a long time. And he wrote it when he was a really precious um, college guy with a journal. And then he revisited the rest of the episodes as an older person, and his maturity showed. But now, thankfully. A lot of that is is dialed back, so I was happy about that. But the first scene that I saw that I thought was way too much, and as usual, you don't have to wait for me to invite you. If you want to jump in and start talking, by all means, uh, please do. But the first scene where she's a fear, and she's like, you know, the last time I can remember being happy was as you know. Um, as a fetus, and they show a CGI fetus, and I'm like, okay, who remembers being a fetus? Like, this is just a reason to have a very pretentious uh, moment. Like, why, why is she, why is she a fetus? And I wouldn't have minded if they were doing it as pretentious on purpose to show, look how self-important high school people are. Like, this is a very, very emo high school girl who takes herself way too seriously, so it's kind of like tongue-in-cheek, because, you know, everything is uh, the end of the world to her, and she's over the top, but I felt like it was being played pretty straight. It was pretty in love with how clever it was in a way that I found kind of uh, insufferable, and she was like, you know, it was the only time I felt at peace. I was inside, uh, you know, the womb, and then suddenly... You know, I felt the pressure. I was, I was sitting in this liquid. I felt the pressure, and I was being pushed out. And I, um, 
I, I lost that first of many battles. Like, so basically, she wanted to stay in there. She didn't want to be born. She already knew inside the, inside the womb that the world sucked. And I'm like, I, I don't know. A depressed fetus is like a weird thing. And if you're playing that seriously, like, then you're saying that uh, the depression, everything is just genetic. Like, you're just born, you're just born fucked. You know, if, if that's the case, you're just born fucked. You're born depressed and from start in a, in a womb. And it's like, if you want to do that, I mean, by all means, uh, do that, but let's. Hey, so I got kicked out. My phone, my phone, um, my phone basically, I guess, froze up and kicked me out. Like the whole phone was on a fritz. I didn't realize until I was already talking for a while. So actually, I was going to invite somebody up because I just want someone to tell me how long I was out and where to start. Yeah, so I guess the audio keeps going in and out. How does it sound now? Does it sound okay now? Yeah, Chris or Leslie, if you want to come up to speak, you don't have to stay up if you don't want to. I just want someone to let me know how the audio was and what was missed and how far to go back. Okay, so everything is good now. I don't know exactly. Um, okay, so, uh, Kay, if you don't mind, just if you were here the whole time or anybody who was here the whole time, just let me know how far to back up and then we'll go back to um but okay i'll just start i'll just start back over again but um since nobody's coming up and telling me but basically i was saying how the first episode is kind of really or someone in the chat just let me know uh, what the last thing that that people heard was so i know how far to go back but until then i'll just uh take a wild guess but yeah i was saying how the first episode was like uh incredibly insufferable and the first scene was her talking about like her last good memory and she's talking about being a fetus and it is a cgi fetus and i was just thinking like okay this is really ridiculous that she's she has memories of being a fetus and that's the only time that she felt calm like in the it's a very emo thought but i thought it could have worked if the writers uh consciously were trying to show like when you're in high school and you know you're pretentious and you know this is how emo your thoughts are this is what your journal is like this is what your poetry is like everything is so dark and you shop at hot topic but to me it was played pretty straight and it felt like barry levinson really thinks that these are you know deep deep thoughts and it just seemed like such a i'm a college freshman who just started um reading poetry and you know just started shopping at hot topic type of um you know emo thoughts and 
she's like, yeah, so I was in the liquid. I was so calm, and I um, suddenly I felt the contractions, and I wanted to stay, and that was, but I lost that battle. It was like the first of many battles, and I was just kind of like rolling, rolling my eyes that she's a depressed fetus already. Like, she's just, even from, even from inside the womb, she just knows the world sucks, and she, she's, she's, a, she's a nihilistic fetus. And I was like, yeah, this is, if this is, Eight episodes of this. I'm just gonna. Um, I'm gonna become a cutter. I'm, I'm gonna slip. I'm gonna slip my own wrist if this is gonna be like eight hours of this. So she comes out and it gets even worse. I was born three days after 9/11. You guys hear me? I'm not sure why that happened, but the rig I was using just conked out. So I'm about to do this by by mouth. But yeah, basically the whole thing is just um, she comes out and 9/11 happened three days ago, and George Bush is on the screen, and then they show uh, George Bush talking. George W. Bush, and then she starts crying. Like she realizes, oh man, I I was in a life really sucks. There's no place to go but down. And I'm like, okay, I don't think Gen Z really is that bothered by 9/11. Like a Gen Z high schooler, I doubt this is such a defining moment, you know, in her life. And the rest of the show is kind of like that, where it's just it's clearly an elder millennial slash younger Gen X type of show, pretending to be a Gen Z show, and. The trans girl Jules, I felt there was a weird objectification of her going on where I called like manic pixie dream trans, where she's basically a manic pixie dream girl, but trans. But because it's like representation, we're supposed to ignore how kind of creepily objectified she is because no one really centers trans people in general. So even though this is something that's normally considered um gross or objectifying when done with women um it's kind of presented as positive here a lot of unnecessary close-ups of um young girls boobs in a way and i know that these girls are in their 20s one of them is in her 30s but we're supposed to believe or supposed to suspend our disbelief and pretend that they're in the teens so to me when you show all these young girls constantly showing their boobs and a lot of it is not organic to the plot or anything they're just gratuitous boob shots to me all you're doing is giving people like a safe space to enjoy the fantasy of teenage girls boobs or teenage girls having sex and a lot of the show and i'm leading off my criticisms before i go with the positives because i think the first episode is mostly bad but the show felt like a show for older people who want to imagine what they would be like if they got to redo high school now, but with um, the better technology and, and all the things to know about sex and gender now, more than it's trying to be a show that's actually trying to represent what kids nowadays think. And to use a counter example, the show Skins was an interesting show because even though the showrunner was a middle-aged guy, like for most of these shows, he did this thing interesting where he brought in his teenage son 
to make a co-writer and a teenage son organized like a writer's room full of um, young kids. So they had half adults, half kids. And I think it ended up really feeling more like a show about that generation. And this show is interesting in that because it's written by today's like approaching middle-aged people, it feels generationally the same as Skins. It feels like it's about the same generation, but they just updated the technology. So in general, it all feels kind of weird to me, all these attempts to pretend that it's some kind of voice of a generation. And there's a lot of speeches and talks about issues, and it's all either so banal or so dated or so millennial in this thinking. Like it's like none of it's like cutting edge. Like talking about how too many people watch porn and it affects how they have sex and they choke each other during sex. Like, I mean, when I was in my twenties, there were like op eds about that and blog pieces about that. Like, I feel like Barry Levinson just, I don't know. I think he wanted to make it about teens to make it seem more deep, but something clicked after the first one or two episodes, it started getting a lot less into the voice of a generation stuff and a lot less like didactic in his values. And it just started doing um, melodrama. And once it just started the melodrama, it was pretty good. It was good as just messy TV, just cheating, um, fights, drama, drugs. And um, yeah, it, it it's um it's not great. There's a lot of there's a lot of one thing I think it does is that it glamorizes uh, drug use. People say it doesn't, but I mean to me it does because as someone who's done like a lot of um, drugs back in my day, I've never taken a drug that made me feel like I was walking up the ceiling and then back down. And the whole room was spinning. It didn't turn to a music video. Um, it's like, okay, if that, if that was, uh, if I never did drugs and I saw that, I'd be like, you know what? I think I'll risk the overdose. That looks really cool. Like, um, I like movies where it's more like, you know, everything's getting kind of numb and slow and foggy. But yet, in their effort to make things look so MTV and cool, I felt like. It was making things, I thought my drug use looked, look, you know, kind of really cool. Like you're entering a whole alternate um, reality. But hey, Gabrielle, how's it going? Hello. Um, I came up because I was like, you you just, like you're giving a little TED talk. So you need uh, somebody to bounce off of. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree. I totally agree. I don't know um, why. Well, people, people don't like uh, speaking up in I, this. I don't know what no, it it's. Yeah, not same. Um, I feel like we actually had this exact conversation, what, like a year ago um, on Clubhouse, um, just about Sam Levinson's writing. Um, and the, the I think it actually has gotten worse with the nudity stuff, but um, in season two, and I was one of those people who couldn't watch past the first couple episodes. And my take, which, um, you know, I, like I'm in my early thirties and people my age who watch the show and like tweet about it legitimately like freak me out. 
I'm just, it's just so weird to me. I'm like, you, like, it's like, you're basically a pedophile. I'm sorry. Like, if this is what you enjoy, like, there's, this is the golden age of television. And I don't really understand how the show managed to suck in not so much like teens, but actual. I'll be, I'll be honest. I understand media. how it sucks in older people better than I can imagine it appealing to teens. Well, um, it makes sense because the demographic is skews way older than teens. But I think it's yeah, also yeah, yeah. because they're not. This to me is way more for stunted adults to me. Yeah, because I think like like my cousin who's actually a teen is not actually like is not allowed to watch this show. I'm like, I don't know. Like I feel like when Skins was on or like you know Dawson's Creek, like all the dramas growing up my age range was like a little bit more geared towards teens at least a little bit more appropriate even gossip girl versus i think this show is clearly packaged as you know prestige television that's geared towards you know yeah millennials and like the and i think well, it's just well, way- i think the show tries to have it both ways because what happens is they keep bragging about how they're talking about young people's issues and whatever but then when anybody comes Guess that they're about it. Like, it has a TV MA rating. You're not supposed to be letting your kids watch it. We're not right. role models. And Zendaya was giving interviews like, you know, I'm not a role model. I'm a real model, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, this is not, you know, for kids. But, yeah, they try to have it both ways, which I think drives me nuts. Yeah. And I don't know. Like, I guess, like, the period it's set in is also confusing because I don't want to generalize. But, like, I mean, I'm sure that a lot of this is happening and is ripped from the headlines and whatnot. But. Well, again, like I feel like all the teens or Gen Z around me is pretty much the opposite of what it's like. They're more worried about getting internships and jobs and go like I don't know school like, than yeah. drugs. But again, That's maybe big, I'm just surrounded by. The but, but no, 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 no. I don't think it is. And I got into this on mm-hmm. um, Twitter when I tweeted about the show. I was like, this show is Gen Xers and Millennials just projecting their teen years onto Gen Zers or whatever, or just trying to fantasize about the right thinking. Oh my God. Imagine what we could have gotten away with if we had texting and nudes and whatever. And they're just trying to take the Gen X or millennial debauched teen Mm -hmm. childhood and updating it with even, um, we have more technology and more genders now. It would be even crazier. Yeah. But but in, in reality, and I said this, every Gen Z cousin, nephew, uh, friends, kids I know that are Gen Z, they are so boring. Like, yeah. they are... Like, they watch Euphoria. They, like, they, they, I've heard, like, they watch it for the aesthetic, like, the outfits and stuff, because they're not allowed to dress like that in school. So it's just more of a fantasy show, even for teens, and at least for my yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, but, I think it's a fantasy... Oh, yeah, I think it's a fantasy show. I think some of them probably like it just because uh, it's fantastical as Star Wars. Like, like you know, yeah. they're not watching because they relate to it. They're watching it the same way that like, people used to watch Dynasty. It's just then I guess, like, my problem messy. is that, like, the way Sam, like, the way that, you know, creators, and, like, I guess, you know, I, I know I keep going back to it, but the way it's presented as this, like, you know, Emmy-winning, like, prestige drama is that it's supposed to be reflective of, you know, grim, like, just very, yeah, like, or, almost like torture porn reality and i don't know if that's actually true so i think i just want to say one more thing about sam levinson because he actually um that new you know that new uh movie the ben affleck on a darmus movie he actually co-wrote that apparently and i was trying to figure out what didn't work about that movie and of course i looked it up and he was like yeah i think like worked on the script rewrites or whatever i'm like oh of course he had his like fingerprints all over it but i think what doesn't work is that he oftentimes doesn't 
in my opinion, like, and the, you know, Marie, uh, the, the other Zendaya project he worked on, I think he just has very surface level character writing in that, like, for example, in the, um, deep water, like the Ana de Armas character is called, like, she keeps constantly being like, you know, like walking around nude, just like, oh, she's supposed to be like vaguely from another culture, but they never actually <laughs> address it. And I don't know why. I think it's just like this, she's supposed to be this like sexy Latina who, you know, is married to Ben Affleck and like constantly cheats on him. And it's like, I just want to know what her motivation was. And I feel like, I don't know if he's like interested in writing women any deeper than just these like crazy, like sexed up, you know, I don't know, alcoholics or like, drug addicts and I'm, I know I'm generalizing but this is just from what I've seen from him and I feel like he's actually a bad writer and that's all I have to say one thing I hate with fans thank you thank you one thing I hate with fans of this show but this is like people in general now with this stand culture is that people can't just say why they like or dislike something they have to give like a moralistic bent to it or make up something so you know when I brought up like I think it's weird that there's so, so much titties in the show and so much um gratuitous sex because even though they're, they're older they're clearly trying to make you think that they're kids and you know the sex is so like there's so many shots of that sydney sweeney girls booth all the time for, for no reason and then uh, somebody was like i don't know what's wrong with older people so involved in you know kid sex lives and you know i think and i was like okay if you care about older people being involved in kids' sex lives, that you wouldn't like this show because this guy's 37 and he's writing about it. So just, like, shut the fuck up. Like, stop acting like you have this prince. Like, just say, hey, I'm a grown baby, and if people don't like what I dislike, I have an existential crisis. You know, just just say that. Don't give this stupid, fake reason, you know. Uh, but I feel like that happens a lot. Like, when you say we don't like this show, people will bring up, something that's not that's clearly not really what they think because it doesn't jive with the rest of their like you know and um so i had trouble kind of conversing with people who were fans of the show um in a productive way because people were just saying stuff that i don't think they really even want to introspect so i had to kind of make guesses myself about like the hardcore fans and i think some people just like it as messy fantasy like tyler perry and I got a feeling a lot of the young kids actually like it like that. Like, they don't really reflect their lives or, you know, it's just something to fantasize about. Like, I don't think, you know, like, like, I think some older people convince themselves this is what kids are like now. They want to alarm themselves and titillate themselves. But I think also, like, I think there is a small demographic of teens or Gen Zers who are like this, but they don't fit into the rest of the world and they're the extremely online or super tumblerized gen zers and teens and these people they may not really fit in very well with the rest of the peers that much but on the internet they have their whole subculture and subcommunity of people who fetishize mental illness mental harm diversity um you know gender issues uh sexuality and whatever and and this is why I think this show was so popular online compared to his actual ratings. I think um, people like that who are so so emo and who fetishize trauma and whatever, I think a lot of them like to believe because they're unhappy or they fetishize mental illness. They like to believe this idea that happiness is an illusion and everybody who seems happy, whether he's the 
the coolest guy in school, the jock, the quarterback, the cheerleader, whatever, they're all secretly miserable too. And there's not such a thing as a happy person. And I think if that's your fantasy and you like that, um, this show is really for you because everybody's miserable. No one, like there's no type of control group. There's nobody who, when you get to the backstory, there's not like heroin, drug, and it, it kind of makes it kind of ridiculous because I'm like, if everybody's just miserable, then it kind of even ruins the effect of trauma because now this is just normal life. Like, you know, everyone should have a drug addicted parent uh, who's closeted and, and abusive and has seen at least one person die in their life, you know, right in front of them. Like every single person just has this kind of horrible, horrible uh, backstory. We never get to see anybody just for contrast, who's not a hardcore drugger drinker, um, razor horrifying trauma. And like, hey, by all means, feel free to unmute. And you can, you don't have to pick up on what I said. You can talk about anything you want. No, you said so many interesting things, man. I was just trying. Can you hear me okay, by the way? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you pretty well. Um, I, I think I got my rig working again, so how do I sound? You sound fine. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, I see cues on here, too, so I want to dominate the conversation. Yeah, I'm here. I'm almost sorry about the late entrance. Now, I was listening to you on Glenn Greenwald, and then y'all's came up, so I started just kind of really enjoyed what you said about <laughs> yeah, Thursday is uh, usually my marathon day. Yeah, I didn't know y'all were doing both things until you mentioned it on the free show, and I was like, Jesus, y'all are running around. <laughs> anyway, so I was, I was, I was really interested in what you said about the porn thing, man. I, I got to admit, I was, I was provoked a lot by this weird. I mean, I'm Gen X. I told you, I'm Gen. What am I, Gen X? Yeah, I'm 49, so whatever. Um, so I, I was really watching this and going, ugh. And you said this thing about being miserable and making drugs look kind of uh, aesthetically fun and all that. And I don't know. I just it, it gave me this overall feeling of yuck. And I'm watching what you said about the fetishizing this um, uh, the the young trans actor actress um, who was you know who was they were showing off a lot of her body. And I didn't even know she was trans. Till, till maybe most of, the, most of the way through the pilot. So I stopped at the pilot. I don't think I went further, but I may have watched a couple of episodes. And I just remember feeling that sense of like, oh, I'm just, this is just too much. And it doesn't feel like it's going in a direction I'm interested in too much. It didn't, it didn't feel like these characters were going to go on some sort of arc, especially when you mentioned that whole football player with the girl who, who showed her breast and everything. I just felt like I was peeking in on something that was, it was a play by a student who was talking about her life or, or, or many students talking about their lives and everything. And it just felt unnecessarily kind of, uh, how do I say this? Because I'm not trying to be a prude about it, but I did feel prudish feelings watching. Like, uh, what is going on? And why am I watching a young girl getting, uh, well, I don't want to mention too much about it if nobody's seen it, but getting, you know, raped essentially by this grown man and having set up this whole situation during the pilot. I just felt like, what is going on here? Like, is this a, is this a, is this a acceptable porno? Anyway, I, I gotta, I gotta watch my needle meter going to the negative because ever since I turned forty, man, I get more, and more <laughs> negative, and I'm not a naturally negative person. I'm an optimistic person, so 
it's weird when I start talking about the youth and our future and everything, how I get so, uh, but, 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 but it's, it's kind of weird because I get that instinct with this show too. But then I have to remember, wait, this is not actually the youth. There's like nothing young going on here. This, this is uh, yeah. elder millennials. This is nothing, but I get sucked into that, like that mode of, Oh my God, I'm so worried about the kids. I'm like, wait a minute. Every person I know who has a Gen Z age kid actually complains that the kids don't go out enough. And they don't have friends yeah. enough, and they don't party, and they can't get them to stop watching Netflix on their phone, you know. So it's like, for example, in season two, I saw the first episode of season two, and there's this wild rager of a party, and we used to have those in when I was in high school, and it's uh, like, and this is such an outdated party where everybody it's like Fast Times or Ridgemont High type crap, you know, or uh, risky business where it's like everybody's doing drugs. You open every room, and someone's having sex in every room, and you know everybody's drinking and 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 doing lines everywhere and meanwhile like all the gen z kids i know it's like um i i, I have some friends who are like you know father gen z kids that i know are are way more prudish so uh, yeah and, and, yeah they're way more prudish and kind of conservative and reactionary like they may complain about sex scenes in in tv they're like or movies they're like what are these movies yeah. and sex scenes i i don't like this yeah, like they're very prudish but um a lot of my friends yeah, they actually like, control the game of thrones how game of thrones end up kind of going away from what they actually got full full people in <laughs> yeah yeah exactly they, they didn't like they didn't like all that but uh no. like, like, like i know this guy like you know he was um you know father to some girls and he was doing the usual uh girl dad talk of yeah you know when she gets a certain age i'm gonna have to get a shotgun you know these guys or whatever and, you know, when she got into her teens, he, he told me, like, he pushed her to have a boyfriend now. He, he thought he was going to be different. But he's like, uh, don't you want to date? Don't you want to go outside? Like, do you have friends? Is everything okay? And this, this, he's the only person who told me that. He told me, like, she just wants to sit at home and watch Netflix and text her friends. And she has friends. She's not, like, an outcast. But everybody's sure. like this now. They, it's hard yeah. to drag them out. When they do go out, you know, like, he's, he's waiting for her to break curfew. And she comes home, like, two hours early. You know, <laughs> and it's like, it's like, what happened? Oh, the party dissipated. It was, you didn't leave early. The party just ended. He goes, yeah, everyone just got bored and went back home. And and he's almost like pushing her to like do stuff. And he thought that her teen years was going to be the exact opposite. And it's, and it's not. I, I know this is different in terms of age groups, but I remember it reminds me of when Tony Soprano was trying to uh, yell at AJ to get him out of bed because he was depressed. <laughs> Yeah, but I feel like AJ was the start of that. Like, like all he wanted yeah. to do was sit at home and play video games. Exactly, exactly. It just made me think of that when you said that too. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, so oh, I get that. Re- you? Just, yeah, so I get that reflex where I'm like, oh my god, the kids are so messed up. And I remember, wait a minute, these are the kids. These are just millennials yeah. just trying to fantasize. Yeah, yeah, that's what made me the melodrama of it in that in that scene with the girl. And her not feeling like the boyfriend was just watching sex videos, and that's why he wanted her. It was just a, it just made me feel. It was awkward for me, especially since the Zendaya drug scenes were a little bit more like at least lyrical in some ways. So yeah, they're, like, they're definitely lyrical. Yeah, and some of the, gen, the some of the Gen Z lectures. Mm-hmm. Some some of the Gen Z lectures like weird when like Zendaya's talking to the audience. She's like, "Nudes are like the currency of our age." Like you know, us kids. And it's like, wait, forty year olds are sending nudes. Like like, like this is not even something that's gonna scare. Like like everything you're talking about is applicable to like thirty five and up. You know, like like. Uh, like 
like every thirty five minute person I know, like you know, takes pictures of their own junk to send to people. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, 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 what are you even talking about? This is just people scaring themselves with stories about themselves. Well, that's what I think would would really bother me, and it kind of annoyed me, but it kept me listening, watching for whatever, at least the to length of pilot, if not a couple more episodes, was that there's this sense of mastery over something that you have no control of, which is life, right? Um, which is like, you know, just by virtue of I'm over it, but I still talk beautifully about it kind of way of, it's an, I don't know, it's just something that tries to represent some, some way people feel. And that's interesting to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I would like the show better if they just made it about teens that from this guy's childhood, they said it in like 2010 or something. Or they made it yeah. by people today, but show people his age in grad school or after. Because to be honest, what's happening in this show, a lot of it's happening with people who are grown in their like 30s. Like, you know, if I go out in Brooklyn, there's a lot of people living, uh, uh, doing too much drugs and hanging out uh, and uh, all sleeping with each other. I mean, if you, if you look at the New York media scene, it's like, it's like basically New York media scene is basically uh, uh, euphoria. I think it's probably why so many people in New York media love this thing because it just basically seems like what they do what they do now like you go to so many Brooklyn parties and there's like all this coke and and, and fentanyl and all this stuff so it's like I don't even know why he wants to be in high school and about Gen Z it's just yeah just make it just make it about a bunch of people who work for like BuzzFeed New York Magazine and and have podcasts and and are like 30 something and it'll be the exact same thing but at least it won't seem this weird this this con this congruent like once I got past the fact that this has nothing to do with actual teens and there's a bunch of stupid edge lord shit that I can ignore, I started enjoying this on the level of a Tyler Perry thing. I'm like, this is just messy. Like what's gonna happen next? Like, you know? And Yeah. And after that I, I, I kind of I won't say it was good, but it was compelling. As in like I just wanna see what's going to happen next, I was going to say. And, Kay, uh, thanks for joining us, but I just want to make sure we get to the next people. But as, like with everyone, you're welcome yeah, to come back up. Uh, and I'm going to get to Gamby. And also, before we get to Gamby, I want to talk to Q. See, uh, I don't know how far you got. Uh, it took me three days to watch the first episode because I thought it was that bad. But then, once I got past the first episode, it, it I somehow blasted through the next seven. Yeah. Oh, oh, let's see. Uh, you know, the first couple of episodes are kind of hard to get through. Like, I wasn't able to sit and actually pay attention to them. Um, you were you were noticing stuff like when we were we were talking over, um, when we were texting each other, you were picking up on stuff that I didn't even notice because I had it on while doing other stuff. Which is, I mean, it's usually how I watch TV, but um, I wasn't paying like super close attention to it. Like when you even told me that there was a trans character on the show, I was like, oh, really? Like, I didn't even know. And then when I saw the character, I was like, oh. Oh, didn't realize that she was trans. All right, cool. Wait, why is all this traumatic shit happening? And it's just like, I, I, I there, I, I don't like shows where it's very clear that these aren't characters you're intended to relate to. These are ideas um, that spring from the writer's head, like they're archetypes. And the story that they're telling, even though like it's you know it's at the heart of it, it's like uh, trashy soap. But even like trashy soap opera TV, and I'm somebody, you know, whose grandmother would religiously watch um, General Hospital and Young and the Restless. So I know from trashy soaps. And 
at least soap operas have a certain earnestness about them in the sense that like yeah the stories are like super cheesy and they're like you know escapist fantasy for bored housewives i i get that but the characters like the actors and the writing are played straight like it's not cheesy on purpose i think the only soap opera that i can remember where they really like hammed it up was that show passions and even that had its own degree of earnestness about it like yeah it was cheesy but it was cheesy in a like it wasn't cheesy in a like look how dumb we can get way it was cheesy in a yeah we're gonna like throw all the ideas out there we're gonna have like witchcraft we're gonna have like human sacrifice we're gonna have like i don't know, like possible alien encounters and all kinds of stuff like they threw a whole lot of stuff into passions and it was still i don't know endearing but euphoria is not that it's not only is it the it's depressing not in the sense that like terrible things um either either the characters do terrible things or terrible things happen to them but in the sense that i can really get the writers sort of disdain for people in the sense that like the uh the main character um jesus i forget her name like i don't even know a single uh aside from like yeah Ruth. um aside from uh mary jane from spider-man i don't even know any names of any character she's played she's just but you know it's funny she plays that character the exact same way she plays the mj character in spider-man just sullen just just sullen uh not just sullen she's a i don't know uh a gen z new black that's unimpressed with white twinks like that's that's all she plays uh yeah um except in this case she's extremely impressed with the twink well yeah fair enough fair enough um i was more thinking about um you know like spider-man and dune Um, dune yeah but she's uh, her her, like her worldview and her like utter nihilism is like it it's betrayed by the fact that she still seeks approval from people. She still has a friend circle that she values, but in, not in the sense that she values them because I don't know. She doesn't even, I don't even get the sense that she gets anything out of being with her friend circle. I get that. Like she's, I don't know, absorbing friend energy. And I, I think that's one of those unintentional tells that the writers kind of put in there. Cause I think that's how they relate to each other. Like, w- I, like it's pretty clear that like, this is not a uh, suburban teenage culture. I think more we're seeing is Hollywood culture being played through suburban teenagers. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Right? Like, yeah. So it's, it's like, a, it reminds me in a way of, um, do you ever see that movie? Oh, wait, 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 wait. Um, uh, uh, real yeah. quick. Uh, Gamby, yeah. you can jump in anytime while Q is talking. I guess this is a conversation. If you want to uh, respond to what Q is saying as well. But uh, yeah, please continue, Kim. Yeah, did you ever see that show, uh, the movie *Nymphomaniac* by Lars von Trier? No, I heard of it, but I haven't seen it. Okay, so like you know, it, it's actually so it, it came out. It was released in two parts because it's a it's a really long ass movie. So uh, I think I think even if you watched it on Netflix, it, it's split up into two parts. But it was filmed as one movie. Um, but I think like the total runtime is, is like four and a half or five hours or something, and. Um, the first half is all right until it gets towards the end. And then the second half, like the second, I guess like film, but really like the second half of this story is like, okay, I, I completely get it. Like this is not, um, this is not Charlotte Gainsborough playing a woman who's gone through, she hasn't even exactly gone through traumatic events. She's just like gone through events as somebody who's like, I don't know, seems like she's just not normal 
and her life experiences have like hardened her into this like sort of like nihilistic i don't know like uh this nihilistic loner that only that can only find satisfaction through like meaningless sex i don't think it's that i think it's um lords von trier is sort of like lashing out at the world and in a way like lashing out at womanhood by making this character his avatar and making her his mouthpiece and i hate when writers do that because like, there's some stuff that yeah i was saying in, before you came in out of yeah. yeah, I was saying before you came in that this character is basically a white mansplainer who's in his 30s yeah. uh, disguised as a black queer teenage girl. Exactly, right. Like, there was there was points in the movie where um, there, her, uh, Charlotte Gainsborough's character was saying things that was completely out of character. Like, that was just like, it, I'm like, where would this character have picked up these ideas? And where in her story am I to understand that this is a thing that she actually thinks or believes. It's like, it's not believable. It's just there. Like it's a piece of expository dialogue. Um, and it's really her narrating Lars von Trier's inner monologue. But I would say the same thing for Zendaya is that like her, her character Rue throughout the show, her, like uh, her voiceover uh, monologues. I'm like, this is not her speech. This is not the character Rue speaking. And I also think that like, um, I don't know. There's there's one thing about like there's one thing about uh young girls in black households that I think white writers are never are never gonna be able to capture. I think they kinda felt like they had an in to the psyche of a mixed suburban teenager because um her father is white. But there's I don't know. I, I just I don't I've never encountered families like this. It's not so much um the character Rue, I think it's the way that her mom and sister behave towards her. Like her sister really looks up to her. And, um, you know, in the first episode, it, it's, uh, about how, um, her overdose at home, uh, put the family through hell, possibly traumatized her younger sister. But the way that her mom behaves with her is like, I just do not know black parents to act like that under any circumstance. It's a, her mom is a white woman in blackface. and. Uh, it's like the yeah yeah the way she cusses out her mom is like a bit much. God. It's not it's, no it's not even just the cussing out. It's not even just the way that her mom responds to being cussed out or like her slamming the door in her mom's face. Right? It's not just that. It's also that like if you know that your daughter has a drug addiction problem to the extent that you don't trust her and you want her to pee into a cup in front of you, I don't see. I, I just I don't see her being allowed outdoors to go and score more. I, I don't see her being allowed to like, you know, being able to leave the house uh so that she can like go score um clean urine from her friend. I, I don't see like the amount of like liberty that she has that she's like even showing up to school hungover or high. Like I just I I don't know of any black household or, or a household with a black parent where that would fly. And I think that this is like, you know, a, a mid thirties writer that is imagining a, like a, 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 like a white teenager, sort of the way that, um, in that movie 13, it was like a, you know, like a, a mid thirties woman that was like sort of hanging up her own story. But she's like, the, like it's, it was like a, a, a white teenager that has like the patina of blackness, uh, through her, like her mixed parentage and everything that comes out of her mouth is just like, it's, it's not believable as a teenager and 
so the that isn't that in and of itself isn't the worst part the worst part is i just don't feel like the writers have any respect for the genre or for the audience you know what i mean like there's no earnestness about it i can hear you but you sound pretty pretty low to me uh, is it just me or does it sound low to you as well q yeah you're you're pretty low there bro can you hear me now it sounds better. Okay. Yeah. Well. Uh, uh, nice to meet you, everybody. Uh, I just was gonna say, uh, as it relates to uh, that character, I mean, I, I told you this, T. I don't know if you ever saw it. I, I tweeted at you. I don't think it was like by coincidence that that Levinson casted someone like Zendaya because you know the success she's had stuff. She's kind of able to be like she's not white, but you know she she's in a lot of roles that like the typical black woman doesn't get. Right. And I don't think, I feel like it wasn't like an accident. Why, why he, why he casted her, especially in a show like this, where, you know, a lot of producers and stuff are conscious about having like a all white cast, you know, and you have that as the main character, but she can, he, he feels comfortable like that. She can kind of operate and not necessarily have to really interrogate how he, how he has this family dynamic and everything because of it's, it's Zendaya and people kind of buy it and stuff. So I, I just kind of how I feel as it relates to that. Cause it really don't get any better in season two. I've seen both seasons and it really doesn't get any better at that point. And I, I've always found everything about how Levinson has been writing. Cause it's kind of weird when it comes to that, when it comes to that kind of stuff, you know, and you know, I, I watched him do like um, the movie um, assassination nation. I saw that like a couple of years ago and he kind of does, it's kind of got this thing with high school girls as well that he does. And I mean, it just seems to be like a hallmark of his that he likes to really draw from that point. I feel in pop culture now, there's this kind of desire to kind of disaggregate black men from narratives, except when it's time to do something hip hop or jockey or something, or to have them appear particularly to be, emasculated as in like their masculinity is something that you know needs to be um cured and to give an example like that character uh, mckay is just a very weird character i think he's weirdly constantly emasculated and there's just a scene where just a bunch of white boys he's having sex with like this this really conventionally attractive uh white woman um and it's not something that ever allows him to feel any rank over the white men because in the beginning, the white man makes sure to let him know that she's considered a slut who has, who's low value in her eyes, even though she's um, technically like super hot by conventional white standards and that they had videos on their phone of her, you know, being naked. So that when he brings her around, he doesn't get any cool points from it, even though normally somebody would like, like, okay, you're a black guy with this really hot, uh, white woman, but your status is still lowered by her somehow. And then when he's having sex with her, all these white frat bros jump in during, and of all things frat bros do, I've never heard that. Like, you know, if, if one of your bros is having sex, that's usually one time you kind of stay, but they, they bust in with no clothes on just to pull him off of her and to simulate rape him and, and emasculate him with this simulated rape. While he's in the middle of sex with her, they run back out the room, and he's crying. I'm like, what? What the hell is this? Know, what is this? This is bizarre. But but, but I'm, I'm tying it back into something you said real quick. 
I think that's part of the reason why they chose a biracial girl and they gave her a white dad to kind of make okay. clear she's not raised by a black man. Like, cause I think it would have to inform her character too much. Like there's a way that I think they want to remove, I think a black male influence and to have a black father, even when that's dead, that kind of, you know, she looks up to fondly, I think would throw the dynamic off. Like, like I feel like this is way in pop culture now. They're kind of disaggregating blackness to kind of take straight black men um, out of it, except when it's time to use the masculinity as something to critique and say that it needs to be um, demasculinized. Or, you know, like, for example, in The Hate You Give, the straight black men are either the father who's kind of uh, impotent and has to embrace his daughter uh, replacing him with a white boyfriend as in, you know, uh, yeah, you're a great father, but this is like my future or he's the threat to the whole narrative and he has to be made into the pariah, like Anthony Mackie's, uh, black male where the whole denouement, the whole resolution is we got rid of the black man. Like, like he's worse than the cop even like that was the happy ending. They, they realized that, and she has that epiphany using Tupac where I realize it's not the hate you give that fucks everybody. It's the hate we give, but we being the black men in the community, you know? So I think right. that's where this kind of biracial thing is coming from, you know, with, and a lot of times it'll be like a white and father. I, and I, and I know you, you talk about this too. When you, when you say that, it kind of makes me think what you were talking about when it comes to like having different sub identities too, when you kind of say that, because like you said, she's also a woman and also queer. And I, and I don't mean that in like a, reactionary way i'm you know i'm just saying like uh when you talk about her being a woman like i think another thing is like levinson like i said kind of like in assassination nation he kind of had like he was going for like uh uh like the the main characters like young high school girls and they're kind of like you know fighting you know they're kind of like feminist and all it's kind of like i got a feminist slant to it and he's also ogling at the girls too but and i feel like that's something that that levinson and i feel like that's a part of the show too there is like a focus, if you look at the characters, it's kind of got a, a, a pseudo-feminist like kind of slant to a lot of it too as, as well. So it's kind of like, you know, her being a woman and, you know, dealing with, you know, toxic masculinity. You can see, you can see how all that kind of stuff can kind of moves in, there, especially with like the white male jock and, and the, 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 the black dude too, even though he's supposed to be like a nice guy. And I kind of don't like that character because of that. It's like, it's weird. He's supposed to be like a nice boy, but he's really like, he's just a fuck boy in many ways. But, you know, like you said, they kind of just emasculate him. But I feel like that's something that Levinson kind of goes for is like how, you know, girls are treated and stuff and, and, and that. And I think because Zendaya is a woman, you can kind of do that with that character. Whereas with the McKay character, you got to do a little bit more if you, with, with him being a, a black, black male that doesn't quite fit neatly on how he does it, you know, with the male character, white dude. But I feel in general, they don't really know what to do with straight black men in these narratives anymore because it kind of made this utopia uh, where they have a place for um, the black women and black queer people, but they don't quite know what to do with the straight black men except as a um, police brutality victim or a cautionary tale about too much toxic masculinity and he has to embrace his... Like, like, for, like for example... Um, I was going to say something real quick and then I'll go back to you. And if you have nothing else to say, I'll go to the next caller, but real, real quick, the, um, 
someone pointed this out to me. I didn't even notice it, but I'm like, okay, there's uh, two recent movies, a Batman movie and a, a Spider-Man movie, and they both made like, a lot of money. They were the last two superhero movies, and both of them have this kind of emo British white guy, uh, one known for doing Twilight, you know, the other one kind of looks like a twink, uh, with uh, biracial, biracial black girls as their um, love interest. And they're both uh, characters that are originally white in the comics, but they've um, made them biracial. So, so the MJ character in, in comics was Mary Jane. They made, gave her a new name. And now MJ is biracial and Catwoman is now biracial. And I was like, you know, what does this mean? Like, why is the white American guy represented, replaced by a white British guy? And why is the uh, biracial American woman now his ideal? And I feel like there's, there's something behind that. I don't know what it is yet. Even when I don't know the answer, I always like, notice a pattern. And, uh, but one thing I do notice, like, they're running out of things to do with straight, with straight black men. I think in this post-Black Lives Matter world, outside of being some kind of cautionary tale about police brutality or too much, um, machismo, they don't really know how to, um, slot us into anything. Yeah. And and I, 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 oh, wait, I'm sorry. It, no, I'm saying, I felt that with McKay and the lack of a black father in, in this. And that's, that's all I have to say. Okay. Well, I, yeah, I, I don't have much more to say. I just was going to say, like, uh, I really don't think it is. A, I've seen, like I said, I've seen all of it because I just was kind of, you know, morbidly curious about everything, you know, with how much it was trending online. And one thing I will say is I definitely have a big online presence because you can find all kinds of, you know, video essays like none other you've ever seen with a TV show when it comes to war. It's just, there's oceans of like of people opinions on the show. Yeah. I, I think it's part of the reason why people think it has a lot of teen audience because I think a particularly online type of teen likes this show, but that online type of teen does not represent the normal teen. It's like a like, Tumblr teen who witness who 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 trolls um and scours uh cutting blogs all day about uh, about cutters, you know, stuff like that. That kind of teen, you know? Yeah. I, I listen to like a popular uh, a YouTuber. Uh, uh, I think y'all, uh, Cat Black. She had, you know, she she uh, watched it. And, you know, she gave her thoughts on it, and I think she liked the show a little bit more, even though she had issues with it too. But it's like you kind of look at it, it's like it's really just got like you said, it's got like a lot of milk toast stuff. It's not really saying anything that new, but it's like I guess people feel like it's really cutting edge material. Like you, you talk about these characters and all these things. It's like. You know, they're all jock like the like the the jock stereotype, you know, the drug, you know, and all that, the outsiders and outcasts, the the big girl in the show, you know. It's like those things have been talked about forever, but I feel like, you know, it just gets a lot of hype for doing something new. So that's all I really got to say, but you know, appreciate your time and everything. Sure, no problem. We're gonna move on to Melanie. One quick thing I was that I find interesting is that the white guys actually um, gay, like closeted, uh, gay, but somehow, um, I think it's an interesting commentary. I think this is really how America works. He somehow is still the most masculine presence on the show compared to like the black guy who's actually, actually straight. Like he's, uh, still to me, like more of a, uh, stereotypical man and has a, has a, he's, a, he's basically the sexual center of gravity of the show that everything kind of orbits, uh, sexually straight or straight or gay and and uh before we go to melanie real quick i was going to make a quick point about something i noticed uh this is the first two minutes of the pilot and i thought it was just hilarious and this is 
while I was worried about the whole show, but it didn't end up being this bad. Uh, the first two minutes alone of the pilot, they had they covered not wanting to be born, being born against your consent, almost like you know, uh, birth rape, like like you know, just being forced to be born, inheriting a crappy world, nine eleven, George W. Bush, OCD. ADD, cutting, cyberbullying, prescription drug abuse, uh, expensive healthcare system that doesn't cover you, um, excess porn, uh, sexual harassment done by um, a black guy in the class who's like, you know, showing her porn things during during a mass shooter drill. Mass shooters, because they're in a mass shooter drill. Um, yeah, it had a very weird, like, breakfast club. Um, skins, kids. Old Tumblr, Rebel Without a Cause type of feeling, mixed in with like 20 topics. And I timed it. It was like two minutes and 13 seconds. They got all those topics off. And then the rest of it was just like uh, sex and titillation. And it's like it's trying so hard to be 10. It's about something. But there's no actual commentary about any of those topics besides the fact that they just exist. And I'm like, just give it up. Just make a trashy soap and make a gossip girl and just with, with titties and just call it a day. Like why do you have to pretend to be about something deeper? The gossip girl to me never tried to pretend it was a commentary. It's like a, it's like a commentary without an actual worldview. And, and that's all I want to say. And by all means, Melanie, please un, unmute. Uh, Melanie, if you're having trouble unmuting, it's on the bottom right. All right, there we go. <laughs> there we go, cool. All right. Hello, Q. Hello, Trevor. I have so many thoughts about this oh, show. Oh, please share them. Um, first of all, I was just baffled from the very beginning. But the inundation in the beginning was just insane. I was like, okay, so... And then I saw in the end credits, it was based on an Israeli show. I'm like, okay, so you adapted to America and forced 9-11 in the beginning kind of as this weird buffer to explain the nihilism of the show. But... And, and, and I want to ask something. The Israeli show is from 2011 or something. And I mm-hmm. think that adds to the dated millennial feel of the show because it's even based on a 2011 show. It's a remake of your 2011 show. Exactly. And... I was just, for the whole time, I was just, what is this show trying to say? Is it trying to make observations about addiction, about teen? Like, I was like, what is it trying to do? And I also get frustrated because so much of addiction content just always ends up being this redundant same story. And because, you know, most addiction stuff is boring. It is like the average, you know, user getting up to use going about your day. It's boring. So it always has to be the most dramatic moments depicted on film. And I think people get this very bizarre view of it, like that it's exciting and then it's catastrophe and that that's what's happening at all times. I'm like, yeah, no, it's, it's pretty boring actually for the most part yeah yeah i always wonder if i always tried the wrong drugs in my life because even like except for maybe like except for maybe ecstasy ecstasy is the closest thing that i think i've tried that makes things seem like a technicolor or or maybe acid but these people will never do that doing like heroin which is usually like opiates usually just make you nod out and lose chunks of time and they make it look so freaking like you know technicolor amusement park yeah, and just also the whole it, well sam levinson i read up a bit on him he is you know son of barry levinson and is someone whose parents sent her to school at a private liberal arts and sciences school in los angeles with celebrity kids i was like okay this is a celebrity kid written show like from jump i was like okay yeah no this is exactly what i could imagine one of my 
you know, Crossroads Piers writing and putting out. And actually, one did write a story very similar. And after she died, it was made into a movie. And it was just such an awful movie. Don't ever watch it. It's called Havoc. It's terrible. <clears throat> Can I ask you something, Melanie? Uh, since you know kids like this, do you think r- rich kids and kids of like royalty and celebrities still party like this? Because I can imagine rich kids uh, of today still maybe having that type of um, youth. But I just don't buy like middle class and lower middle class kids still partying like this. But maybe you have some insight into that. Well, there were some middle class kids at the school, you know. Um, it was not all like, you know, people who lived in the Palisades and Beverly Hills and Malibu. There was a predominance of that, but there was people there on scholarship, people there like my parents paid like in bits <laughs> um but it's just i don't know it was just so it was so bizarre for me to watch and i i'm so glad because i had kind of a mild headache over the weekend and my expectations for this show were so low i'm like well this is probably the perfect time to watch it because i don't think it can hurt me <laughs> <laughs> anymore that it i feel right now worse. it uh, can't make my weekend worse were you right about that because yeah it, it, it was sense, painful for me i mean well yeah because as soon as i saw the mckay cassie storyline introduced i'm like i oh, don't know q's gonna just he's gonna be horrifying <laughs> i get to see him you know uh, a snow buddy post in the future coming from that one i was oh, like boy. oh boy yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's all tropes it's all film tropes. yeah it's all tropes that's a great way to put it it's it's the vibes of trauma it's not like any actual dealing with trauma or dealing with addiction in any substantive way it's just all like here's the vibe of it and it's very like tail end gen x like me millennial based sam levinson is the same age as my brother so i was like this would be like me or my brother wrote this show and i am not so arrogant that i would ever presume to write a role for a mixed race teenage girl like i would never do that because i would have no idea how that experience would be so it just felt baffling to me but what i thought was interesting is didn't she never talks about or touches on her race she doesn't like because and he doesn't even try to write from what it means to be mixed race black anything like i feel like it Almost, I don't think it ever came up that she was. I think it makes it easier for him to just put his words in her because yeah. he just doesn't even. She just dares to kind of just be a ventriloquist dummy for uh, his worldview. I think. Well, as somebody who was a teenage deviant and and had a mom who was on their ass about it, like again, it wasn't a black mom because I'm white, but yeah, I was like, I do not believe for a second. Any black mother would let their teenage daughter out yeah. of the goddamn house. And she was cursing her mom in her face, you know, you know, calling her a bitch and a cunt. I was like, yes, that's not a black mom. Like, like, yeah. like no, no way. I still don't even curse in front of my mom. Like, it's not, it's, I'm a grown man. Like, I still don't do yeah, it. No, that, that was, that was very white teenager behavior. Yeah. You know. I got, I got road rage in front of my mom and I cursed, I cursed somebody out and then I looked at her. I just felt like, I wasn't even cursing at her. I just felt embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, you know, so I, yeah, I don't. I don't buy that um, at, at all. And then the other thing, there's this little nitpicky thing that annoyed me because I ended up watching season two. Because I was like, why not? I'm already in. Like, let's just let's just complete the the cycle here. And there's like a forced, not a forced detox, but basically like they like you know, she's at home, she's detoxing, and I'm like, you know, they take her to the hospital, but there's no rehab beds. 
which like I was like, okay, that's accurate. But I was like, is this show set in what 2018? Like nobody thinks to say, go, hey, go to a buprenorphine methadone clinic. You're an opiate user, right? Like nobody, nobody, nobody in her life suggests none of these super online Zoomer teens allegedly. Uh, nobody, nobody thinks of this. Apparently, I was like, um. And yeah, it's pretty. Been, it's pretty bizarre. There's a lot of plot holes that just don't really make sense. Yeah, and it's yeah, Sam Levinson is you know he was an addict. He's sober, and there was a lot of very that's that's something that's very omnipresent in in showbiz as well. Is you know a lot of people are in twelve step programs and there's there's a part yeah I used to know a lot of rich kids who had done like rehab like multiple times, and it just became like almost like a drill. Uh, but what was interesting too, there's a part where Rue's watching Love Island and she's talking about depression and they're being very on the nose and didactic about a lot of it's very didactic. And then, uh, she mentions like, yeah. And sometimes when you're depressed, you watch, um, reality show because it doesn't require, uh, a lot of work. Like it's, it's, it's fun, but it's not work like final season of Mad Men work. And I'm like, okay, what? Like, like Teenage- your show is Mad Men. That was yeah, not yeah. work. But, but, but no, but that's a, what, what teenager talks like that about final season of Mad Men and and like I don't think teenagers are watching like Mad Men and 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 studying the themes of it. Like you know, it just felt, it just felt like that, that's you, Barry Levinson. That that's a you. That's a blog post you wrote in two thousand nine. Yeah. Well, that's why I felt like it was my high school. You know, my high school we had film theory. You know, for God's sake. So yeah, a lot of us spoke and talked about Lacan and things like that. So like, yeah, if you went to a school like that as a white teenager, you were probably talking like that. But again, this is also set in the Valley and there was weird LA inconsistency things that drove me nuts too. Like the finale where they like all of a sudden end up at union station. Like, but they were on bicycles before I'm like, there is no Valley suburb. Like, no, you cannot bike from the Valley to union station. I'm sorry. That is physically impossible for adults, let alone teenagers. And then they, Um, the only relationship that they'd been developing between Rue and Jules with that bizarre finale number. I was just like, why are you doing this? Like, what, what is this? Like, just go show her using. We all know she's going to use. Like, why are you doing uh, this? Are you talking about season like, one finale or season two finale? The season one finale. Are you talking about season one finale or season two? Number? Oh, oh season yeah, one, yeah. That, I mean, that, but, but Jules is not, final number? but Jules is not even a character. She's just a total manic pixie dream girl angel. Like, it's, yeah, no, she's the fantasy, she's the distraction, she's and, the, you know, kind but of... But everybody uh, falls in love with her. Like, like that's, that's, that's the other crazy... Yeah. Everyone is meets her falls in love with her. And that and that musical number you're talking about, I thought really pushed it even over the edge more, that she's just a symbol in the musical number that's... Um, it was really... Uh, that musical number was a bit much. I, I just wanted to know if they had a second musical number in season two finale. I didn't reach it, but uh, no, they didn't. But in episode seven, uh, Lexi, Cassie's sister, puts on a play based on some of the events of the show, and it only had one uh, wonderful moment because Cassie freaks out, gets on stage, and then you know Maddie ends up you know chasing her and you know, shoving her head into a wall. And I was like, okay, I finally got something out of this show. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, somebody, somebody knocked crying girls because all she does because when you ask like does she do anything on this show but cry I was like yeah no. yeah she cries so much <laughs> I, you know when I was watching it the first three episodes she doesn't cry I'm like okay maybe those are just you know um some out of context stills but once she cried for the first time season one it just never stopped and they even started um mentioning it in the show like like you're crying again somebody said to her goes like what are you crying for someone said in the season two episode one like but i feel like they started responding to the online jokes about her crying all the time um melanie do you have any final thoughts or if not we're going to move to our corn pops but i want to give you a chance to get some final thoughts Oh yeah, no, I can, you know, move along. It was just, it was, I watched some of the interviews with the, you know, people, uh, you know, behind the scenes stuff when I was watching it. And then as soon as the, I, cause the season two episode, I was like, okay, clearly the director of photography is a huge Nan Golden fan, the way he shot it. And then I was like, and of course in the interview afterwards, I was like, see, I knew it. Mm. <laughs> I was like I knew it. I saw that. But yeah, no, to me, it's very just, it's very, you know, tail end Gen X millennial and just like, again, to me, there was nothing like it was basically like, let's, you know, do all the teen nihilism stuff that's been done before going all the way back to Rebel Without a Cause, like call it for Zoomers, add in social media and add in porn. Yeah, yeah. And, and I just wish they just stopped pretending that there was a commentary to it and just let it be a messy melodrama. Cause I feel like that's a level that people really enjoy it on but um yeah thanks so much for that melanie we'll move on to corn pops and the same for you as for everyone else anybody who wants to come back up is always welcome to we just like to keep the queue um going and also um uh q any any thoughts you've been quiet for a while i want to make sure no 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 no. Um, okay cool okay cool um somebody uh my friend chris was on a reddit and he found this reddit post i thought was pretty interesting i think it captures the kind of person that this show um panders to but the person said this online and i think they're talking about this new generation like online of like you know new woke people and and activists but he says the person wrote i have met and helped and treated i guess they work in their in the helping professions i have met and helped and treated numerous individuals now who are my peers in age anything from 18 to early 30s and so many have internalized a generational quote-unquote understanding of mental illness that is toxic and worthless beyond condemnation our youngest generation's understanding of mental health enables encourages and at worst glorifies mental illness i cannot understate the number of times i've met a young woman who has made being mentally ill and polysexual and queer and autistic, etc., their identity. Accountability is absent to the nth degree, but more importantly, a lack of any accountability has deprived these people of personal empowerment and agency. Mental illness is no longer something to recover from and fight against. It is an identity and a definition of life itself. There is no reason to seek cures which, of course, is borderline non-existent in mental health, but that's a whole essay itself. There is no reason to look to better ourselves. There is no reason to fight our internal struggle at a personal level without the feeling, without feeling the need to inform every last member of the community whom we interact with. This is not our society's problem, but our peers. And I felt like this kind of taps into that. Like, everyone seems mentally ill almost by birth and by destiny. Like Rue's father died, but that's not really why she's messed up because they kind of show her even as a kid, she's already having OCD 
on the ceiling and ADD is on a bunch of drugs even before the father gets sick and having meltdowns and, and freakouts. And like I said, from the, from the fetus, she's like, everyone just seems doomed by destiny to be mentally ill. And what they try to do to kind of compensate, I guess, is at the beginning of every episode, just give you a giant info dump of the people's backstory because they can't show. They just tell, they tell by here's a, here's a quick two minute, uh, info dump with Rue narrating about all this trauma um, you know how much trauma can you fit in two minutes of, of flashback backstory okay now now back to the messiness and I'm like there should be a way to incorporate uh, through action and telling through action you should be able to express the character through action and and writing all this stuff instead of just having to keep giving us these giant info dumps that are doing the job that your actual day-to-day interaction with the characters, you don't have the skill as a writer to actually bring to, bring to light. And I think it's a big weakness in his ability to characterize that he can't characterize through action. He just has to have them be messy in a poorly defined way. And just give you the excuse for why they're messy in one random episode's flashback before he gets back to to uh, the messiness. And that's all I have to say. And Corn Pops, uh, feel free to unmute. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Um, can barely hear you. Oh, can you, is it better now? Um, Marginally. I think you still need to try to raise the volume. Is this better? I'm going to try are you, something. Are you using like a Bluetooth headset or something? Hold on, I might be able to. Oh no, actually, you're on maximum volume. I was thinking I might be able to pump up the volume uh, of the input, but no, it's not going to work. Um, are you talking close to the mic? Maybe, maybe you have to put your mouth next to um, the mic on your phone. Hmm. <clears throat> um. Q, do you have any ideas with disconnecting and reconnecting maybe help? Or yeah. if he's not on Bluetooth, maybe he should switch to Bluetooth maybe? I don't know. I mean, if you have a, a Bluetooth headset, maybe try switching to that and pop back into the queue. We'll, we'll bump you right up. Yeah, yeah, I think this is what we'll do. we move on to Jim, and you try to find another way uh, to input a mic and then come back up and we'll, we'll take you. All right, cool. All right, cool. Okay. Hey, Jim, how's it going? Feel free to unmute. Uh, the mute button is on the bottom right in case you are looking for it. Okay. I don't know. Maybe you could, I don't know what happened there. But, um... I was going to say, I don't plan to have a late one tonight because I have a social engagement. So I was, um, if Corn Pop or someone else wants to come back up, you know, feel free or if Jim wants to try again. But, uh, yeah, I was thinking about taking like one, two at most, and then uh, we can call it. But while we're waiting for someone else to talk, I just want to give some some final notes that I had. Like, And again, I think I was sounding very negative, but... I did actually start enjoying the show, uh, believe it or not, as a, just a messy, messy soap opera. And I am actually looking forward to finishing season two. I just wish they would just stop the pretentious parts of it and just let it be 
a messy white Tyler Perry. I was, thinking, I was calling it before like white Tyler Perry. It, yeah. Just let it be that. I think we're <laughs> just the, really. But re- the other part is like again, Tyler Perry believes in what he writes. Like yeah, as as uh, I don't know, messy and fucked up as his shows and plays are, he. Well, 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 let me say this. I, I can't hear you, so I don't know. Um, yeah. Hello? Yeah, for some reason you were breaking up. I don't know if you're breaking up for everybody or just me. But I would say, I think he believes the messy parts. I just don't think he believes, believes the deep parts. What do you mean? Oh, well, you know, like sleeping around and, you know, being closeted and getting high and blacking out. Like, I think he believes the partying and the messiness and the cheating and the... Um, you know, uh, blowing up your whole life. Like, I think he believes that part. I don't think he believes anything that purports to have depth. Uh, I mean, I guess so. I, I hadn't thought about it that way before. But, like, there's, um, I don't know, like, there's a, a through line of, uh, like, Southern Christian conservatism. Um, so even though he, you know... Yeah, fair. Yeah, even though he's like you know messy and um, like hyper exaggerated, there's still like this underlying black conservatism about his work. But uh, with Euphoria, I don't feel any sort of through line about anything. There's no worldview there because it, it almost seems like well, having a particular worldview about anything is stupid, you know. But I think I think that is the I think that is the worldview. I think the worldview is the lack of worldview. I think I think it's nihilism. I think I think think nihilism is is the worldview. That's what I'm saying. When he's just being messy and not about anything, you know, except titillation. I think that's when he's kind of uh, believes. For example, I think when Cassie's titties are on the screen for no reason, he believes in that. He believes in those titties. But you know, he doesn't believe in any commentary about her trauma or you know what a woman faces and, and the feminism part of you know you know that that part i don't believe at all uh, yeah. a corn pops you want to try again better? oh or it sounded better at first oh no no it sounds it sounds good actually yeah whatever you did work okay Oh, okay. A quick announcement uh we're going to stop with jim because i can't stay too late um this time but um yeah by all means um continue corn pops yeah um i don't know necessarily what was said kind of before because i keep uh going in and out but um yeah uh, i watched it um and it, it was just pretty much what everyone else was saying it was just a mess um one thing i kind of wanted to highlight was in in, in episode eight of the first season i guess in I kind of mix up all the characters because to me, none of them have like enough individuality that I, I kind of like can really tell or care enough about them um, to remember like who they are individually. Um, but in the last episode, when they're all like sitting around, I'm not sure, was that supposed to be like a prom or something like that? And they're all talking about like, Oh, well high school, like some people say this is the best that it's going to get in this, in this kind of stuff. And I just thought that, that was so such weird. not a high school conversation. Yeah, it wasn't. It's like, I remember most every, from what I remember in high school, everyone's talking about, yeah, they cannot wait to get the fuck out of high school. And, you know, the only time that you may hear something like that, from what I remember, is maybe college on some level, but that conversation was like, and I just felt this was like really, 
the writers or whoever was really writing it just like interjecting that and it's just it was just so weird and you know I, I remember, I'm glad you said, I'm glad you, said I, you couldn't tell if it was a prom or not because I thought I missed something but I'm pretty sure I didn't really quite yeah. explain what it was so you saying that makes me feel better about my own powers of observation I was confused too yeah I was like is, is what is is this like the junior prom or is it like I, I don't you know it, it, it was just and then also the time skipping is kind of weird too because isn't it like the previous episode like isn't it like Halloween or something like that or I, and it's I don't know really like the timing is all off on this on this so you don't really know like how much time really goes by um, but another thing I, I kind of really wanted to highlight was just that you know I, I noticed again from the first episode and the rest of them it's just kind of like the shock and awe that they try to do and it's to me very juvenile um, and you know just with the sex and then the and the male nudity and, and stuff like that. And it's, you know, and, and, and my thing against it is if you're going to do that, at least make it interesting. Um, they still like do the whole shock and awe, nudity and sex and drugs. And it's on a very basic and immature level. And it's not actually taking up to the next level that would actually, in my opinion, and you know, I could be wrong about this shock the audience. Like they're, you know, I mean, here's how I feel like showing a penis. Okay. Like whatever, like, you know, like, you know, this is the time of the internet, like everyone has access to it. Like you're not doing anything that's really that shocking other than it being on TV. Like, so what is, what are you trying to get at? I have a feeling what he was trying to do with that. You know, people complain, why is there so much female nudity, but guys get off the hook. And I think he was trying maybe like, um, answer that. Like, Oh, look, Hey, um, men are getting, um, their penis is shown too, but I don't think it works because I just think, um, Female and male objectivity um, objectification is just inherently inherently different. I, I I still think it affects the female characters worse than it affects um, the men. I, I think if anything, it almost gives more license to objectify the women because you fake created equality. So now it gives you more license to just show because um, the way to make that crying girl Sydney Sweeney show her breasts all the time and I read an interview where she even started pushing back against it she started telling Barry Levinson like are my breasts really necessary for the scene like <laughs> why why am I showing my breasts again and I don't blame her yeah I, I kind of got like those um, I kind of got those vibes from what little I remember from girls and just like Lena Dunham being naked in kind of like you know every other scene kind of it's just I don't know for some reason I just got those types of vibes um, yeah I feel like it's a different thing though because I feel like no one actually wanted to see that. She wanted to force it on people. Uh, so yeah. I think it's kind of, kind of, kind of different. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. But, you know, one last thing I, I just wanted to bring up is just, you know, uh, Zendaya or Zendaya, however her name is pronounced, this character is just, um, I remember what you said on Discord, like, you know, just in general, like I just said how bland and uninteresting her character was. And, you know, I was like, okay, well, let me just, let me watch another episode and see, you know, if it was just the material. And I mean, the material is bad enough, but, you know, it, it, there's nothing that she does with it. it. It's just, I mean, season, I mean, episode eight is just that time. It's really like her character. And it's, you know, I couldn't even pay attention to the plot because it mainly centered around her and nothing gets done with it. Even the musical scene, it's just, it's just so uninteresting. I started, I started calling her narration, uh, R- R- Rue's planning. Cause the character's name Rue. Cause, cause it's, it's all it does. She just, 
is so freaking like I think that narration can work, but you better be really clever. Like like Holden Caulfield in Catcher in the Rye. Some people like you know uh, make fun of it as a cliche or a trope, but I think J.D. Salinger does a very good job at putting clever things in Holden Caulfield's uh, mouth. But Barry Levinson is just not J.D. Salinger, so so the Roost planning is just always to me very very banal and just. Like, like for example, when she's talking about new to the currency of, you know, discourse now, but you know what people say. People tell us kids, hey, maybe you should be more careful with um, sharing your nudes. But, hey, instead of blaming the kids or the girls, why don't you blame the people who make uh, uh on the you, underground, transmit child porn and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People they share them. Yeah, yeah. People who create password protected dark web child porn sites. Why you get mad at them? And it's like that's such a childish argument. I mean, that's like saying, "Hey, um, if I park my car in a dangerous neighborhood with a lot of theft, and I leave my keys on the dashboard, you know, uh, and the door open, and I go inside my house for like five hours, and I get stolen." It doesn't, it doesn't, you pointing out that, hey, maybe you should have locked the door of your car and been more careful and not tempted fate isn't the same as saying the guy was right to steal my car. And I hate that type of, I feel like online and in this modern generation, this is kind of thing where you can only blame one person and uh, anything that that tells a person to try to be safe because other people are scumbags is somehow, it it reminds me of the whole, instead of uh, giving girls safety tips about how not to get raped, why not teach boys not to rape? As if that's why men are raping. Like The the guy who's out there raping people is doing it because nobody taught him not to rape. Like if someone said, hey, you know rape is bad, he'd be like, oh really? I just thought it was a cool thing. I didn't know. Oh wait, wait, it's illegal? You know, like, like, the people who do bad things don't do it because nobody told them not to do it. They do it because they are just shitty people. And 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 it's not deep or whatever to tell or morally enlightened to tell people, hey, sometimes you have to compensate and curb your own behavior because other people are. And people understand it in certain contexts. Like, for example, when black kids get to talk, you know, I, I never heard of a black kid saying, hey, why are you giving me to talk? Why don't you talk to the cops? You know, it's like, no, you know, <laughs> the cops are going to do what they're going to do. And yeah, so the roost planning is always just stupid and childish. And and I hate that, that whole moral thing about you can't tell us to do anything or give us any type of whatever because, uh, you know, that's victim blaming. And, and you got to tell the bad people not to be bad. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. It's a little rant I had th- th- that when you talk about her character, I just remembered. Uh, if you do, you have any final thoughts, or if not, we'll move to Jim. Okay, I guess, I guess not. So I will move on to Jim. Yeah, feel free to unmute Jim, and we're gonna end it with you. Uh, hello, can you guys hear me? Uh, yeah, hear you loud and clear. Thanks for joining us. Sure. Uh, great to be here with you guys. Um, I have seen the second season of Euphoria. It's not good. It is very, very good. You know, it's so interesting you say that because so many people are 
promising me the second season gets gets better. So I, I'd like to hear more about why you think it gets worse. Uh, well, I didn't see the first season while it was running. There are also a couple of specials, and I didn't watch them either. If anything, Euphoria reminds me of a joyless version of Riverdale. It just has no joy, no charm, no spark. Say what you will about Roberto Aguirre Sacasa as a showrunner, but it, at least he enjoys the material, whereas Euphoria is just nihilistic and bleak. Yeah, and no one's likable, and I feel like no one has an actual forward arc, except maybe the big girl kind of has some kind of um, forward arc where, but yeah. I got- you know in the second season, the big girl gets a boyfriend, and he is the only character I actually like on this godforsaken show. But I also think he gets the least screen time, <laughs> so that, that that probably helps. I feel like if they were to elevate, because I've seen, I've seen him so far, I've watched a couple of episodes of season two, and they barely have him on, and he's just there to be a type, like a nice guy. But I feel like if they tried to flesh him out, you would suddenly find out uh, he's witnessed 10 rapes and 20 uh, overdoses. <laughs> and his nice guy act is actually overcompensating because he's secretly uh, traumatized and he just fakes being normal. I, I bet you they would do that if they gave him more <laughs> screen time. Or they just make him a full-blown incel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. That's that's what they would do. And, and he secretly has these fantasies of, of like... Uh, um, Killing women, but he acts like a nice guy or something. Yeah, I mean, it's discouraging to hear that the second season uh, is is more of the same because that's the big promise that I've been uh, getting told. Another thing else, uh, I don't know how far you got, uh, Q, but the setting of the show kind of gave me it gave, it gave me the vibe of this thing that happens where a lot of woke people still. Uh, put on the top of the sexual food chain the problematic white guy they're supposed to hate like the jock um cisgender uh yeah. straight straight presenting and i felt the way with like the the nate guy like outside of the trans girl like the nate guy is like the sexual gravity of the show and he's already like uh been with like so many girls in the narrative and and even the um trans girl is um drawn to him and everything even though he's um he's he's like the he's like the textbook thing of toxic masculinity but i feel like he's meant to be a problematic fave or a problematic uh center of attraction and one thing i want to know i don't know if anyone can clue me in on this is there a community or a discourse or a significant part of the fan base that crushes on him despite being woke because i felt like they're presenting him to be like um eye candy and to be liked by I think it's the closest thing to like a sex symbol this show has and I just find it kind of weird because they also seem to be trying to pose him as everything is wrong with the world but he's hot you say that he kind of reminds me of Kylo Great example. Great example. He's Kylo Ren is a perfect example of this trope. A, another example. The first one of these I noticed was the show Veronica Mars, and it was this guy called Logan, who was supposedly supposed to be such a douchebag, but they clearly were making excuses for his douchebagness the whole time, and also presenting him as like it's okay because he's kind of hot and he's just uh, misunderstood, and I can fix him 
you know like it seems to be kind of like yeah, that yeah it's the same sort of like sexual conquest thing that guys do but it's like sort of in reverse so like uh you position the you know oh my gosh you know what this is like a, a tiktok colonizer colonizer type oh yeah jesus I that imagine shit. that yeah yeah but um did you ever watch this anime called rising of the shield hero Yes, yes. I think, I, we, we, actually did episode, we actually did an episode on it to, to give a plug to Champagne Sharks. We did an episode on that, on that anime. Did, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah well, it's, it's wildly problematic. It's just it's so bad. Um, but the um, one of the, I guess, like underlying themes in that show is just like how much... I forget the name of the... Um, I forget the name of the, uh, uh, the artist. Uh, but uh, you can just tell he hates women. He does not like women and, um, his sort of, uh, I don't know, like his, his, his whole thing is that like the, like the, the slave girl that has like that, he, that the hero literally like bought out of a cage, you know, like through serving him has like developed the sense of self. And so she's like fiercely loyal to him, but she's also, you know, like dangerous and badass. And then the, um, the, the 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 king's daughter the princess that tried to like fake me to him uh like what was it like one or two episodes in uh you know yeah like, false rape, rape accusation yeah 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 and and so like over the course of the show she's just repeatedly like even though she um you know has all this power uh she's just consistently humiliated so it's like you could just tell that there's like there's a deep-seated hatred for um women in higher positions and I think in a way it it kind of plays out like there's this like sexual fixation, but also like a bit of a self-loathing and a bit of a like a, a, a loathing of, I don't know, like what what uh, what Kevin Samuels might refer to as like a high value man in the sense that like, yeah, exactly. Know, the, 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 straight male, exactly. the straight white male character is seen as high value, but um, there's still this like desire to. I don't know, like to overcome his uh, his blaring flaws and his conditioning, and make him into the kind of guy that can be the uh, like to that can be to, um, I mean not just Rue but the women on the show like can be to them what the um, the slave character girl from Rising of the Shiro. Uh, shield hero is to the main character from that show does that make sense to you or? oh yeah yeah totally in fact uh on on twitter on the um at champagne sharks account i just retweeted this meme that i feel like ties in and it's about um it has this this cartoon of somebody who uh became progressive and studied um um feminist studies and learned all about like white male privilege and then they start getting heart eyes as as they read about how like the the comic goes um study a a BA and become a progressive. Uh, then the next slide is lecture one of feminist studies. White males are the most powerful, wealthy, high status people in our society. And suddenly their their eyes turn into heart eyes. Like at the more they they learn about how powerful and high status the white men are. Supposedly, you know, t- for social justice reasons, they end up, um, um, I don't know if you call it, call it white-pilling themselves. Uh, yeah, I can call it, call it white-pilling. They, they end up um, white-pilling themselves into, um, you know, 
be, being enamored by all the powerful high status things that they're teaching themselves that white men uh, represent and it almost kind of backfires or creates a cognitive dissonance. I think that ties into kind of um, what, you're to- what you're talking about right there and I just kind of retweeted the, car- the cartoon. I, I kind of hate retweeting cartoons like that because I could tell that it came from something that was probably reactionary or insolish but I do think there's a germ of truth uh, in it regardless of the source. I yeah, think I, I think I think those are like um, there, there's like I don't know. There's an ability for um, I don't even like to call them incel types. I, I think because I don't even think that the artist is necessarily an incel. Just somebody who um, has like a, a deep resentment of women, um, and, and yeah, that yeah. like people have made that synonymous with incel. I, I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think maybe maybe red pill type is a better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, but. but- yeah, but okay. I I think I accidentally coined coined a term that they can use from now on, like 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 a uh, white building where you study like uh, white male power so much it ends up backfiring and you end up becoming enamored enamored with it. But but yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. yeah. Uh, 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 please go on and then I'll give Jim the final word. Yeah, they, 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 they will end it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, oh yeah, uh, were you done? If if so, I was going to let uh, Jim talk. But if you have more to say, I was going to let you. Okay. Oh yeah, Jim. So I'll give you the final word. I actually did see that meme, and that's what made me think of Kylo. Yeah, Kylo's a perfect example, too. It, it started out supposing to be Finn, and then they ended up falling for Kylo. And even though he was originally clearly meant to be like a critique of, you know, the white male patriarchal fuckboy, they ended up making him the hero and the love interest by the end. He's just this immature, violent murderer who let himself off the hook for killing his own father and all these fangirls came up with all these excuses. Han was a force sensitive. No, he wasn't. But what's funny about that, the one that really leaned into that uh, was um, what's his name? The one behind Last Jedi, um, Ryan Johnson, the one that everyone claimed was the most woke one out of uh, the whole trilogy. He's the one that really... uh, did that uh, he, he has like scenes with Kylo Ren's shirts off and clearly um, he marginalizes Finn and makes him clearly the bad boy I can fix him love interest and I, th- I just find, find that funny that supposedly the woke director is the one that did that I think it's fitting because I feel like weirdly enough woke people are the ones who uh, do that a lot in in, in American uh, fiction in the, in the shield hero thing um, I think it's almost more honest to have it come from that because at least that's clearly a reactionary type of MRH kind of guy writing that thing. But in America, I feel like um, it's the wokes who kind of push that that white pilling, that Kylo Ren uh, rehabilitation thing. I can fix them narrative the most. Not only does Johnson do that, he also puts Finn at the receiving end of speech about how war and slavery is bad. Finn. Yes. Brainwashed child soldier. That's a great point. I didn't even catch that till you said it. Wonderful, wonderful point. And I think I've I feel I feel good ending there because I don't think I could top that point. And uh thanks so much, Jim. That's for everyone else who called in. Starting next week, it might be ambitious, but we're trying to go up to at least three times a week. Now that I have this rig. And it worked pretty well. We had a little bit of snafu in the beginning, but uh, yeah. So, uh, Q, the, the calling people sent me a whole rig. I can now 
pipe in audio from the computer, do sound bites, do all types of stuff, and very cool stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it, you know, the the, the app, the Colin app, has had the ability to you know upload uh, sound bites and clips and whatnot for a little while, which is cool. But you know, sometimes it's you just want to like run it off of your hardware and press a button and not have to like you know do a bunch of clicks. Uh, so yeah, like having the um, the hardware is uh, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, and thanks for joining us, Q. As as usual, uh, Q is already a busy man, so he will not be coming on uh, <laughs> three or four times a week uh, w- w- with no, me. I'll be on on the most of it for sure. Yeah, 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 but yeah, we expect to still have him on 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 Thursdays. But if you don't already oh, you know follow what? the uh, show, on, hmm? I was, I was going to ask, like, uh, so are we going to uh, work our way through the season? Um. Yeah, I'm I'm down. I mean, I watched all of season one, but since we're doing so many extra shows, I don't mind revisiting and for season two. Okay. Uh, for, yeah, yeah, and doing doing more shows on it. I think there's some interesting stuff. Like we can actually focus on like individual episodes or pairs of episodes uh, more because I do think there's something interesting about about this show. And um, I want to use a Thursday time, but I don't know to what yet because I feel like uh, every week we're on the same time as Brianna. Yeah, I feel like we have like an overlapping audience. I want, I want. I think she has a regular time, so I'm thinking about moving uh, either later or earlier. We, we can talk about it, but follow us and follow the show to be notified of when we um, come on. And I think you should definitely do it if you don't already, because we might end up moving the time of the Thursday show. So, yeah, everyone, thanks for joining us. We will see you again soon. Be good.